The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began speaking in the synagogue, saying, Today the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke highly of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They also asked, Isn't this the son of Joseph? He said to them, Surely you will quote me this proverb, Physician, cure yourself, and say, Do here in your native place the things that we heard were done in Capernaum. And he said, Amen, I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But Jesus passed through the midst of them, and he went away. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want to go back to our first reading. First of all, I just want to thank uh, Katie and uh, Maddie for reading for us. How many of you thought they were twins? Yeah. They're good friends, but they're not twins. And a neat story about Maddie, the, the second girl who read, uh, she was just baptized not very long ago. So we were very thankful for her. She and her brother, uh, Doug, as well. So super thankful for that. Um, and I want to go back to that first reading that Katie read for us uh, from the prophet Jeremiah and just ask a simple question. Is what, what Jeremiah was saying, was he only speaking about himself or was he speaking about all of us? Are these truths for all of us? So Jeremiah wrote this. He said, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. Well, Psalm 139 says this. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul says this in Ephesians 1. The Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. John Paul II put this in a, a very concise way, a sort of a summarized way, this entire thought of the scriptures, and I've always loved these words. He wrote this, he said, for God and before God, the human being is always unique and unrepeatable. Somebody thought of and chosen from eternity. Someone called and identified by his own name. It's for all of us. These words of Jeremiah and, and the psalmist and Ephesians, it's for all of us. And what I want us to do is think about what that means for you this morning. Before you were born, before you were conceived, before the world was created, God knew you, he chose you, and he dedicated you. And then when it was time for you to come into the world, God himself tenderly and intimately crafted you together inside of your mother's womb. And my brothers and sisters, this, this is why, ultimately, why we have to protect and nurture and care for every human life. From womb to tomb, from the moment of conception 
until natural death when God calls us home. It is God who gives the supreme value and dignity to every person. Now, those of us who are parents, you know this instantly. (laughs) I mean, the minute that that little precious God-crafted gift is put into your arms, you know it. I'll never forget the first time that I held my firstborn. And the nurse puts Abby in my arms. She's wrapped up like a little burrito in that blanket like they do. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, please help me to help her be everything that you've called her to be, your designs and your purposes for her life. Now, the next thing I remember is that the nurse walked over, grabbed the edge of that burrito blanket, whipped her out of my arms so fast and walked away, I went diving to the floor for the fumble. I thought, oh, she's going to drop her. And she very smugly turned and looked at me and goes, oh, I should have told you I was going to do that. I'm like, you do that to all the new dads, don't you? It's your little game. You laugh about it. Well, back to the point. Back to the point. So our Lutheran schools, this, this only helps us understand, makes it crystal clear the mission and the purpose of our Lutheran school, which is to partner with parents and help them teach their children in this most sacred responsibility that their children, that they're given life not only from God, but that Jesus has called them. Like he did with Jeremiah, God tells each one of us, I dedicated you. That word might be better translated as consecrated. I have consecrated you. I've set you aside for my holy purposes. Yeah, see, like Jeremiah, you are also a prophet. Now, of course, he had a particular time and place and purpose from God, but, but so do you. Because in your baptism, you were united to Jesus. And who is Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the, the anointed one. That's what Christ means, or Messiah in the Hebrew. That's why we call a baptism a christening, a christening, because you are christened. You become a part of his prophetic, his priestly, and his kingly offices, the three offices into which he was anointed. You are so joined to him that you take up that sacred work in partnership with Jesus. Well, of those three, let's just talk about being a prophet today. I love this definition. A prophet is one who expresses with human words, and I'm going to add this, also human actions. One who expresses with human words and human actions the truth that comes from God, one who speaks the truth in the place of God in his name and with his authority. Let that sink in. You have been given his prophetic authority and sacred task in the gift of your baptism. It is your honor and it is your privilege and it is also completely overwhelming and intimidating, isn't it? Jeremiah was scared to death. He made all kinds of excuses. I'm too young. I don't know how to speak. And the Lord says, don't say that. Don't say that. I will be with you. I will deliver you. Now, part of Jeremiah 1 from where our reading was from that wasn't read is it says that God reached out and he touched Jeremiah's mouth and he said, see, I have put my words in you. He gave Jeremiah exactly what he needed. And my friends, he has put his word in you. He's not just touched your mouth. He's touched your heart with his holy word. See, like the old saying goes, God doesn't just call the equipped, the people who are already ready. No, no, no. God equips the called. 
And you are called from before you were born, before you were conceived, before the foundation of the world. You were called by name and you have been consecrated for this purpose. But we've got to be prepared. See, a lot of people, they don't like prophets. They don't like them because they don't want to know the truth. We know that. A lot of people, they just really don't want to hear the truth. Go ahead and read the rest of the book of Jeremiah and see how he was treated. Or, or simply just, again, listen to the gospel reading today. Oh, man, they love Jesus one minute, right? And then they want to throw him off the cliff and kill him the next. And eventually they would. Not off of a cliff, but up on a cross. I mean, ultimately, this is what gets Jesus crucified because he spoke the truth. And in fact, the death of Jesus is his ultimate prophetic act, his final statement. Because see, his crucifixion speaks the truth about humanity. His death shows us the depth of how ruthless and bloodthirsty our depravity is. That we could reject so marvelous a creator and kill him. But at the very same time, his death on that cross speaks another truth of how infinitely deeper and wider the love our God has for us. A love that, again, not only created us, a love that bled forgiveness for us. Forgiveness for every one of our sins. But to take up this prophetic task with him, my friends, will put us at great risk. And I gotta be honest with you, I get tired I don't know about you, I get tired and worried. And sometimes I think, you know, I, I, just, I just want to forget it all, move in the middle of nowhere, hunker down with my loved ones, bother no one and be bothered by no one. Just keep to myself, right? But I can't do that. And you can't do that. Jeremiah would put it this way later on. He says, if I say I will not mention him, or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up into my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. My friends, God has given us the truth. I'm not talking about your opinions and your ideas. We got lots of those too. No, no, no. I mean, and I only mean, the truth as revealed in Jesus. And he's given it to us. And the truth in Jesus then is the truth about absolutely everything. Does that truth burn like a fire in our hearts to the point that we cannot hold it in? In our day and age, I cannot think of a more urgent truth than where we started this homily, that human life is given by God, and it begins at conception. Friends, this is a truth that we cannot ignore. It must burn in our hearts, and we cannot hold it in. We have to speak it, and we must live it. We must pray earnestly that the Supreme Court of this country will finally overturn Roe versus Wade, and that abortion in this country would be banished forever, 
But we don't put our hope there, because you know what? All it's going to take is another political ideology to come back in and overturn that. No, 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 no. Here's what we have to really pray for. Here's how we have to really be prophets. We have to prophesy. We have to tell the truth until every human heart in this country embraces this beautiful truth. And we don't need laws about abortion anymore. We have to be the kind of prophets that support parents who are struggling and they're scared to choose life. That's why I love that here at Trinity we have a Lutherans for Life team. That we support Retta and Elkhart reason enough to act that they're out there trying to support and to help these families, not just talk at them. And to those who have been lied to, who were told it's just a surgical procedure and weren't told about the aftermath, about the guilt and the shame and the depression and all the things that come after an abortion. We have to be the prophets who speak the truth of Christ's healing forgiveness. To speak to wounded mothers and fathers, wounded by abortion, and tell them, yes, that Jesus has died for every sin, including this one. It is critical. It is, it's essential, my friends, that to speak the truth, we have to speak it in love. There are so many different issues today that we as Christians, we are now hated, and, and ironically, then we're called the haters. <laughs> when truth is rejected, you know this, we should not be surprised that we're going to be despised. But on the other hand, we need to ask ourselves, sometimes are we hated because, quite frankly, we're being hateful? I mean, we may be speaking true facts, but we're not speaking the truth if we're not speaking in love. When we come off angry and frustrated and spiteful and arrogant, well, you know, because we're right! People cannot hear the truth if they can't hear love. We're not trying to win arguments. We're trying to win hearts. I would ask you, and I say the same to myself, watch what you say and how you say it, and watch what you do and how you do it. And for goodness sake, would you please watch what you post on social media? You know, about, I don't know, 20 some years ago, remember WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know what we need now is WWJP. You know, what would Jesus post? <laughs> to speak something that is correct, but with any other motivation other than love, anger, hatred, disgust, bigotry? Well, then it's not truth. Because real truth is love. And at the same time, real love is truth. It's not loving to let someone live in a lie. Speak the truth in love. Which is why perhaps that the Holy Spirit, as he works through his church in marvelous ways, it seems kind of odd, but on the other hand, it's so, so beautiful. You've got these two readings on the bookends between about prophets who are rejected and hated. And then the reading in the middle, the one that Maddie read for us, is from that famous chapter of 1 Corinthians 13 about love. So I want to finish this homily 
by reading some of those words again and giving you a moment to just absorb these words on love so that they would burn in your heart and you can't contain it. Brothers and sisters, but I shall show you a still more excellent way. If I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. It is not pompous. It is not inflated. It is not rude. It does not seek its own interests. It's not quick-tempered. It does not brood over injury. It does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails.